Hi everyone, this week's episode is with James Dimitrios, Head of Mid-Market NZ at Slack. I've known James for quite a while and was fortunate enough to work with him when he was joining Slack as one of the foundational team members for APAC expansion. Five or six years ago, I remember James being highly regarded as a first choice pick for what was at that time one of the most revered job opportunities in tech sales here in Australia. He brings a really authentic and humble approach which has driven his success today and we talk through the, the values that underpin that success. Hope you enjoy it. Hey James, great to chat to you today. Thanks for coming on from the talk with us. Hey John Joe, thanks for having me on. No, great to chat to you. I've been looking forward to it. First of all, where have I caught you? Where are you in the world right now? And um, what have I caught you in the middle of? today um well you've caught me in sydney my home um friday good day of the week uh generally a clearer day for me less less internal and customer facing meetings where i really like to catch up on a lot of the admin um reflect on the week that was and everything we've taken out of it and uh really setting myself up for a productive week next week interesting and we'll come back to that reflection so that's a really good um starting point for us but i want to go back to your entry into Slack, of course, you're now head of mid-market for ANZ. You were previously a large enterprise salesperson, account executive. And we met some years ago when you won that role. And that journey to, the journey you've taken with Slack, sorry, and the journey into Slack was quite a unique one. And um, you won a role there with, you know, arguably one of the most revered tech companies in the world. And I want to say with relative obscurity, and I don't mean that in an obnoxious way. I mean that in the context of the way software businesses tend to hire. They're often quite binary in terms of hiring software vendors, in my experience. So a candidate must have X, um, and that experience must be really relevant as to the product they might be selling on the market. And you came in, I remember, and you absolutely blitzed that process and I think the feedback was that you were you, you perhaps interviewed and given the best presentation that they've ever seen so coming from relative obscurity if you don't mind me saying to being the number one pick for arguably one of the best and most revered tech companies in the world at that time um what do I need to know about your foundations or upbringing prior to slack that led you firstly to win that role but secondly to become obviously a very successful person in Slack with your promotion um, and spend the tenure you've had with Slack so far? Yeah, wow. Uh, what, what a question. And you're, you're definitely taking me back what feels like a lifetime ago, albeit it was only really five years ago. But um, it was a fun period, a fun uh, exercise to go through being recruited into Slack. Um, if I go way back to, I guess, my foundation and where it all started for me, uh, for me I'm really going to go back, right? So... You know, as a young lad in school, I think at an early age, having a really sort of strong work ethic was instilled in me from my parents and my older siblings. I uh, always had sort of part-time jobs whilst I was studying. And, you know, of course, that's very common with a lot of young people, but I really think that was really important and impactful in defining who I am today and really in defining any any sort of person. Um, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do when I left high school. Um, I knew I wasn't at that stage ready for tertiary education. But one thing I did know is that, you know, I definitely wanted to work. I definitely wanted to find 
a job that was going to provide me with a lot of education, a lot of learning, and I was fortunate enough to have that. So um, all those years I was working, let's say before I was in technology sales or even Slack, I was working with pretty large multinational businesses um, that had a lot of process, a lot of structure, a lot of learning opportunity, and probably more importantly than anything, really great sort of peers and leaders and mentors around me. Um, so, you know, if I fast forward, and we can talk a lot more about what happened between there and Slack, if I fast forward to sort of joining Slack back in 2018, I think where I really brought a lot of strength that was really in my mindset, um, in, you know, what I had gained through my years of, of work in, in terms of skill set, dealing with stakeholders, uh, providing customer experience and customer excellence, and probably the ability to articulate all that in a really powerful way um, to Slack at that point in time. Yeah, and it rings true. I know something you um, something you said that I picked up um, a quote and it was hard work and dedication pays off no matter what you do. It's not a winner takes all race. Focus on being your best, not the best. <clears throat> Tell me about that statement and how that's applied to your life. Um, I think you alluded to already that that mindset and um, work ethic, but how important is that that statement to the way you approach work? Yeah, uh, very important. And I think whilst I may have been doing it unconsciously in my early years, it wasn't until recently where I really, I guess, realized and appreciated that sort of mindset I have. And, and I do think that mindset in quite summary is just a growth mindset, right? We hear about it a lot in business, but it's definitely a mindset that I've always had as I said, sometimes unknowingly, but now you know very knowingly. Um, and and in terms of people around me who have been successful, I think it's because they have a growth mindset. Um, people who I look at when I'm looking for people to join our business, I definitely look for that growth mindset. Um, and I think it comes back to being curious, um, you know, learning on the job, but also learning off the job, investing your time in in education, whether that's formal or informal. Uh, as I said, I didn't um, go to university straight after high school, but I did at a at a more mature age uh, when I really appreciated the importance of having that theoretical um, background and experience. Um, so, yeah, I do think if you're always pushing yourself to be better um, and to be, I guess, the best version of you um, and, and, I guess, competing with your ability as opposed to others, I think that's a really... Uh, strong foundation to have and it's certainly one that I think has helped me get to where I am today yeah absolutely it's been a common theme on on this podcast with the people that I talk to somewhat somewhat unconsciously that but that I suppose work ethic and the intrinsic motivation just to do good work seems to be um really consistent I'd really like to get into perhaps some more concrete examples and specifics because there's I suppose the juxtaposition that I find personally when we talk about growth mindset is it's clear that you have that and many of the people that I talk to, or not many, but a lot of people I talk to in this setting have it. It's something that I strive for myself. But a lot of people say that they've got a growth mindset and they work hard, but not everybody is able to translate that necessarily into success. What I recall again going back to our interactions that that presentation that you um, delivered for that role was, you know, perhaps the best they've ever seen. So that's an example there in that context where you put in extra work to 
I suppose, deliver excellence in that particular thing you're doing at that time. What what other kind of examples would you say ring true for a salesperson that somebody who has a growth mindset is doing the extras, um, is um, very much doing the extra work? What does that actually look like on a day-to-day or a week-to-week? Are there any key examples that you see? Yeah. Um, so I think at a real high level, it, it's that, you know, appreciating that the only constant in life is change. So you can be at the top of your game today, but it doesn't mean you're at your top of the game tomorrow or next week because everything's changing and evolving around you. So it's always having this this mindset that I need to be learning how to do it better or differently. And um, I think, again, if I think back to some of those great mentors or colleagues I had in my early years, one thing that um, they spoke about a lot to me was feedback um, and, and that it was a gift. and. I've always thrived off receiving feedback, um, both formally and informally. Um, sometimes I can walk out of a meeting where I think, geez, that was just such a great meeting. I, I articulated myself really well. The person on the other side was really engaged. There was lots of positive signals, but I always still will look to others in that room for constructive feedback. There's always something more you can be doing or some other aspect um, that you can be considering to to make it even more powerful, and I think um, for me that's a that's a big part of it. Um, maybe using that presentation as an example. Uh, obviously, it was a pretty big presentation to me at the time. I put a lot of work into it. I was quite happy with the output, but um, I shared that with with trusted stakeholders around me in confidence beforehand to say, "Hey, you know, what do you think about this? What would you change? What did you like? What did you think would be better?" And, um, you know, a lot of people do that. And, and, and when you see people do that um, and rehearse and practice and really pay attention to that detail, you know, normally it results in a, in a good outcome. Um, so, yeah, I would probably say having that, that acceptance of change and that ability to seek feedback and tweak and, and improve is, is very important for me. Yeah, great. I think you've articulated that really well. And it's um it's a great insight for me, actually. So I think that there are two parts there. The first is the general principles of working harder or outworking other people. And that might be, you know, get to a meeting early. It means you put an extra hour into a presentation. It means you speak to five more people about a customer before you go and have a touch point with that customer. That's one part of it. And I think a lot of people take that traditional approach. Those people have been successful and say, I got up, you know, three hours earlier than everybody else. And that's why I was successful. And I think that's great, but it doesn't tell the entire story. I think what you've nailed there is that you're saying the second part of that is the, the growth mindset. So, um, your curiosity to understand how best to serve that customer could change every day. And by constantly looking to understand how you can solve that problem, your, you're leveling up your ability each time. And that, as you mentioned, that that keeps changing week to week. You never, you never finish it. So it's as much about your ability to understand that change and adapt to it to become the best version of you to solve that problem for that customer. That's maybe the the secret source. Is it, have I have I got that right? Yeah, I would say so. And I'd also say this, like if, if we use sales as an example here, like selling. Um, has a lot of uh, skills and parts of, say, a selling cycle that are constant and similar. But ultimately, every cycle you're in is different. 
Um, so it's really about finding those unique aspects of a deal or a cycle that are really important and relevant to it and then you know tailoring everything around that and and i know you're a sportsman john joe maybe if i use sports as an analogy mm. a game of football is always you know uh 45 minutes halves and 11 players aside but as you know every game is different and i and i sort of uh i use sport analogies a lot <laughs> in my in my professional life and i think uh, as I said, selling, you use a lot of the same skills, a lot of the same pitches, a lot of the same value props, but ultimately every single sell is different and requires uh, a lot of tailoring. How important, particularly in the with the example of Slack and the unique market entry or go-to-market being a product that was fairly new, right? You know, prior to the COVID era, especially um, the that kind of communication was quite new. People hadn't really used it before. How important was having um, that growth mindset and ability to adapt to change? How important was that when you started selling Slack to customers? Yeah, very important, right? We were really at the time building a new market, almost trying to define a new market. Um, so we were searching for as much as um, as much as maybe customers were, were searching for new ways of working. And um you know, we've spoken a lot about mindset and mindset's very important, but I think what comes after is is the skill. Um, so having the skill to be able to apply the right communication, uh, ask the right cha- ask the right questions, um, dig deep into an organization to find the right opportunity. Um, that was always, you know, quite quite challenging, but very important. So yeah, using mindset again to develop skill, to test, to trial, to seek feedback, um, to to refine um, was definitely very very big. Um, and then and then look, you mentioned you know COVID. Obviously, that was a uh, you know a pretty wild situation where everyone really had to pivot very quick and think on their feet. Um, and and was probably no time more important than ever. To, to really put a lot of that mindset and skill into play uh, and do it at scale. So uh, I'm not sure if I've answered your question entirely there, but definitely a few, a few things that come to mind about selling Slack in that period of time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the other part of it I wanted to talk to you about is um, your experience coming to tech. I mean, again, what is what is the blueprint? You know, it's who's to say what the blueprint is, but by um, maybe conventional means, you came to tech sales perhaps a little later, you didn't go through the more traditional route. And uh, you mentioned you didn't go straight from school into tertiary education. You you obviously went and were a success in another industry quite quickly. And you brought that broader business experience across to technology sales. What impact did that early experience have on your ability to go and sell technology? Um, That's an interesting question, right? And I'll give you some extra context. So a lot of people would say to me, hey, James, you've got a pretty unconventional background for a for a modern tech salesperson. How did that come about? And hmm. I actually look at it a bit differently. Like I, I actually believe I've always worked in tech. Um, hmm. If you look at what I did in the first 15 years of my career before, let's call it software technology or cloud solutions, hmm. I was selling technology of a different sort and it was complex. And I had to rely on a lot of subject matter experts around me to help me be successful in that space. But what I did learn in that space was 
to have really strong uh, customer experience skills, to be a really strong communicator, um, to have certain values that would help me build good rapport and good relationships. And um, all that stuff is common in so many industries. So, you know, when a lot of people ask me, how did you move from where you were for the first 15 years in a tech sales? For me, it was just more about being able to articulate um, that skill set and that experience I had and how valuable and transferable it was to, to what I would now call modern tech. Um, so when I did sort of make the jump into, into let's call it software technology sales, um, it actually was quite seamless, right? I, I always had a very good background in connecting with customers, really trying to dig deep into their business and understand what they were trying to achieve, where they were being held back, how there may be a fit for our solution and them. And I actually feel in many respects my experience pre-software tech or, or let's call it cloud sales is actually my strength today. Uh, I don't look at it at the, uh, through the same lens, as you mentioned earlier, that many um, tech sellers have because they've only ever worked in that in that environment. I think I bring a different skill set and a different lens that has actually turned out to be to be my strength. Um, if that makes sense. No, it does absolutely. And 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 perhaps a good example there of even through myself, the whether it be closed mindedness or just a you know a way of doing things that's perhaps a little bit regimented. But do, do you feel that the software industry at large does have a quite linear view on who to hire based on experience and if they don't come from a traditional software route that they're less likely to be hired and does that make it more difficult for somebody to transition so yes and yes i I actually do think for the most part and i am generalizing a bit that that the industry does have that that sort of view Mm. i mean let's be honest right we all want to hire people that have uh, experience closely aligned to, to the role. So naturally, when when we do have candidates out there that have been selling uh, similar um, solutions, we we do tend to lean on them a bit more favorably. Um, there are many organizations out there that are, I guess, more open to looking at candidates from non-conventional backgrounds. But um, I would say yes to, to that being a norm in the industry. I would also say um, yes, it is a challenge for a candidate that comes from maybe a different background, but I would say that challenge is more that individual's challenge in terms of how they communicate it. So for me, it's a perception and you've got to have the right ability to challenge that perception and say, hey, you might perceive that my background isn't very well aligned, but let me draw the parallels the areas that are very closely aligned and that was something that i'm fortunate in hindsight i was able to articulate quite well is that hey although i haven't been selling software for many many years this is what i have been doing and this is how it's very closely aligned with what it sounds like you're looking for and this is why i think i can be very successful and provide impact very early if you're um if you're sort of going to take a bet on me yeah, brilliant. That's that's really sage advice. Um, and I, I think a key part of that as well, which you you talked about a little bit earlier, is I mean, there's in that scenario, somebody might the advice to them might be, you know, show you soft skills, how you've been successful, um, how you're willing to outwork your peers, um, for instance. But 
I think for a hiring manager to really feel comfortable, it's perhaps more talking about the problems that you've been solving in a adjacent or even a different industry as you alluded to. It's been complex. I'm dealing with these customers and helping them solve these problems. Um, and that's why I think it's aligned. I, I think perhaps, I don't know what you think, but I think if uh, taking that approach to really show how you understand how to solve problems would give you a lot more skin in the game if you are transitioning as opposed to just not just, but as opposed to only talking about the soft skills that you have and how you think you could transition the, them across to software. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I always think about, and I use this terminology a lot, like what were the what was the bridge? Uh, what was the bridge that was able to get me from you know point A to point B? Um, and in my instance, it was the types of personas that that I was selling to and how they were similar personas even in the software space. Um, for me, it was some of the sales methodology I'd been trained in, um, uh, you know, around even things as deep as Maslow's hierarchy of needs and understanding pain uh, and levels of pain and how that correlates to, to building a solution um, and, and providing value. So, yeah, that bridge that I mentioned is something I talk about a lot. Um, it's, it's one of the sort of parallels um, even within different industries that exists in one industry, that also exists in, in, in a new industry that I joined being tech sales. Yeah, got it. The Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a really interesting one, something that I've um, read, looked into a lot myself. Yeah, can you talk to us a little bit more about how you've um, utilised or translated that into the way you sell? Yeah, well, absolutely right. So definitely taking me way back to my, to my university days, um, 2007, 2010. Wow, I'm sounding old now. But really understanding um, in a business, there's obviously many different uh, levels of need uh, and, and that needs are very different to wants as well, right? So um, businesses have those base level needs, right? How do, we, how do we keep the lights on? How do we stay active as an organization? And, and in, in sales terms, that can often mean how are we getting revenue in the door or how are we managing our cost? Um, but then, you know, getting a bit deeper to level twos where we start finding out things around uh, employees and how they're either engaged or productive or aligned. And then starting to get a lot deeper to things that are more strategic or even more tactical for a business. So, um, you know, I talk about Maslow's hierarchy, but I'll, I'll throw it straight to a sales methodology I was trained in, obviously, which is Sandler. And, you know, when we talk about in Sandler methodology, how we get to that L1 pain, that L2 pain, and then that L3 personal pain for a stakeholder. Um, these are, these are sort of skills I was trained in and methods that I followed. Um, you know, when I was you know, having those early discovery meetings with customers and trying to find a connection with them on, on, on you know, how we could build a plan to move forward and, and try and help them solve those, those needs and those levels of pain. Yeah, great. And to stay on the Maslow train of thought, James, a little bit deeper here perhaps, but intrinsically um, to ask yourself where you're at with your career, um, you know, to spec you towards the the top of that Maslow hierarchy. Do you think about that yourself personally in, in terms of how you view your career, um, you know, your personal family life? Is that something you think about and is is having a purpose through work important to you? Is it, is it crucial or is doing good work? Definitely. 
Right. Okay. Yeah. Definitely for me, it is. Yeah, definitely. And um, I do think using the the Maslow hierarchy of needs. It's a great question, John Joe. Like, how do I personally use that hierarchy in my life? And mm. maybe maybe unconsciously I do. And I think throughout your career, you go through many different cycles, and sometimes you get into that you know that higher element of the pyramid where it's more about let's say aesthetic things and and feeling success and feeling amazing and thinking more about the rewards and the recognition but you know we're in cycles at times where you know it's harder than others and and now is probably a good example of that right there's a lot of things happening in the world and the economy where it's a bit tougher and you start coming a little bit down that hierarchy and you start thinking for some of those more basic needs right like belonging and safety so uh it's a great question i probably never thought about it that way but i think having asked it absolutely it is how I think, uh, you know, in terms of my career. For me, my career is super important to who I am I'm in my personal life. Um, and whilst they're two different things, I guess, I always have sort of treated them as one, right? Because at the end of the day, it's one life. <laughs> so, um, yeah, great, great, great way uh, to get to get me uh, thinking and, and a thought-provoking question. Yeah, it's something that I think about myself a lot. Yeah, and um, you mentioned your career is a big part of who you are. W- would you say you're you have an identity that's quite related to your career and success? And if so, have you ever been in a situation where that's been detrimental at all? Um, I'm not sure. I've been in a situation where it's detrimental. Um, I think you know everyone's different, but one thing I've always sort of done is be pretty authentic and, and almost bring my whole self um, to work, if that makes sense. So people who work with me know a lot about me, that you know, I have a family, which is the most important thing to me. Um, that's where I get a lot of my motivation and my reward and my joy. That's what drives me. Um, but for me, you know, it, it often is about the people that are around me as well, and that obviously in a, in a professional setting as well. Um, I'm going to keep using sports now with John Joe, but I've always been involved in team sport and I, mm. I, I love the joy of that camaraderie and winning together, losing together. I don't really feel like there's ever a time where you can win on your own and that can be okay. Um, that's not fun. So mm. yeah, for me, for me, um, it's something, you know, professional and personal is very much intertwined into one, but I would, I would say I can't think of a time in my career where that's probably been detrimental or held me back in any way. Yeah, um, and I'll give some context because that, you know, perhaps to let you know where I was going with that. So I know you played you played soccer as well. So like myself, my identity was completely um, um, attached to being a soccer player. So that was my first profession. Um, so I did for a living. And when that ended and my entire identity was that I've been a soccer player, um, there's very much an identity crisis. That was a really, really tough time. And that the fact that my identity was tied up in being a soccer player was actually quite detrimental um, to my mental health and moving forwards. But over time, since transitioning out of sport, I've realized it's more about my identity was perhaps the the hard work and the work ethic um, that you talk to um, really passionately. And that was perhaps the identity and that can move across different industries and different pursuits. Um, I wonder in sales, 
people like yourself who've been really successful you know you're doing massive deals one week and then the next quarter something happens and it's been a really bad you know difficult time how do you how do you manage to counterbalance your identity of success in times when it's it's tough and and you're not successful because you can't be successful all the time in sales right yeah great great question um well, before I answer it, I'm going to be cheeky and say I'm surprised that you're calling it soccer. So you've obviously been in Australia for a long period of time now, John Jay. But um, something I talk about a lot um, at work and with my team and even with my my daughters now is resilience. Um, and resilience is a word we use a lot um, at Slack. Um, so I do think, you know, sales is a life of, of sort of ups and downs, highs and lows. And I think, you know, you've got to have that mindset of when things are tough, I've got to control the things that I can control. Um, and then you can't be a victim of your surroundings. You really need to think, you know, what's in my control? Well, I can pick up the phone. I can go out and see customers. I can try and build pipeline. Um, I can try and improve my skills. I can seek feedback. So whenever I've sort of encountered a bit of a low um, in my in my selling career, I've really looked at it quite optimistically uh, as an opportunity to to develop and to, to build some new skills and to try something different. Um, so I think that's probably um, an example of of my sort of my mindset, and um, maybe that's helped me, yeah, be successful uh, in, in my selling career. Is that I've never really like beat myself up too much when I've had a bad quarter. Um, I've just said, hey, I've got to make this next one better. And the only way to do that is to roll the sleeves up and do those things that we know that work and also looking for, you know, just the improvement or refinement of skills. Yeah, absolutely. So it's <clears throat> perhaps that the sales target is not out of control, but it's not an immediate level of control is it um thinking about how what you can do right away um and your identity perhaps isn't quite as attached to whether you do your number or not because I, I imagine for perhaps younger people coming up through um a career in sales often you know we hear these stories about people going to businesses and it's um you know it's an unrealistic target for instance that they're, they're nowhere near how it could be difficult for them in the early parts of their career to not be disenfranchised when they're so attached to hitting that number and then they don't. Um, do you think that comes with some maturity um, and reflectiveness to to be able to remove yourself and just concentrate on the on the short term what you can control? Is it maturity? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it can be both maturity and experience. Mm. Um, but I think what I would say to to younger people who are maybe you know in their early stages of selling or business development and they're really focused on those shorter term targets is is to communicate right look for support for people that are really close to you um, people who have been in the role for a while your manager um, and if you take them along that journey with you um, a you're probably going to have good results but b they will recognize you know the behavior and the work ethic um, and that you're doing the right things. And I think that's a big part of it too, right? Um, we do focus a lot on quotas and they're super, super important. I'm not going to shy away from that. But sometimes 
you know, you have to think about the contribution as well. Um, you can still be very valuable by contributing, not necessarily hitting a quota. Um, but obviously, you know, again, quotas and sales, you have ups and downs and you want to be hitting it most of the time. But if you are having periods where you're not, as long as you're still contributing and you're doing the right things and you're communicating and you're seeking improvement, um, I often speak about focusing on the behavior and not the outcome. Um, the outcome is obviously a result of the, the behavior and the activity. And, and that would be sort of my advice as well to, to younger people or anyone really who's concerned by, um, you know, meeting uh, a quota. Um, try to focus less on that outcome and more on the behavior and the activity. And the, and the outcome will obviously be a result of that, of that effort. Yeah. Right. And, and communicate that to, internal stakeholders your manager your peers ensure that you're communicating that that you're doing those things and um that help as a yeah. yeah well you know one thing i hear from a lot of leaders around me is mm. um you know no one really likes surprises right um people can can deal with bad news but if it's communicated early and um you can plan around it or you can build contingencies or uh you know, start doing some problem solving. That's a much better way to be approaching it than um than sort of having those surprises um at the end that you haven't communicated. Yeah. I would say most sellers know very early in in let's say a period, a fiscal period, if they are going to be successful or not. So if you feel like you're not, you should be calling that early so that you can start to work with people around you on a contingency plan. Yeah, right. Well, and, and this just occurred to me now, but the, I suppose, being a recruiter and, you know, having the chance to deal, to work with salespeople every day, I think people often ask me, what, what do the best reps look like? And there's this theme that I find, um, and you'd be a clear example of this, James, is the people who are managing their customer and their, um, business development really well, they tend to do that right across other parts of their, their life um as well so i think you just alluded to that the, the internal relationships and the way you're managing um, those engagements that's mirrored the way you manage your customers the way you manage your personal life they, they tend to be managing those processes being really proactive and being really good at communicating across all of those dimensions and that's a theme and um, it's just occurred now that i think it's really really true and I think what you're getting at there is that, I mean, you've got to manage your customers, of course, but there's an internal um, level engagement that's actually really important, um, as well as just the external. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I do think um, that's been something I've always leaned in on, um, is having really strong internal relationships and collaboration. Um and uh, I guess a working rhythm with my internal stakeholders, both peers and managers and other subject matter experts, because selling is a team sport and to be successful in sales, you can't do it on your own. Um, so absolutely, you know, I would say you need to definitely lean in on those experts early. Um, but to your point as well, I think it's a whole array of how you conduct yourself, you know, having really good housekeeping having really good cadences, um, having a really solid plan. Um, these things are all, I think, you know, crucial. Um, and, and, and things that I 
um, do on a daily and weekly basis and things I look for my team to be doing on a daily and weekly basis as well. Yeah, fantastic. And it's a good segue. Um, I wanted to ask you, James, now, now you are managing. Um, could you could you talk to us about perhaps, and this is a massive question, but could you boil it down to perhaps some key principles that you've instilled in your team becoming a leader over there as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I would think of probably, you know, three areas. Um, one would be planning. Um, it sounds so obvious, but you'd still be amazed, John Joe, how many people don't have a, a solid plan. So making sure that you're having a plan, you know, both at a high level on what you want to achieve um, in a year um, and then breaking that down to either periods or even um, to customer levels um, and, you know, having a weekly plan, like what do I want to do um, during the week? You know, where is my time spent on prospecting? Where is my time spent on progressing deals? Where is my time spent on self-growth and development and education? So planning is definitely a big one. It sounds obvious, but you'd be amazed how many people forget it. Um, the other thing is, uh, I spoke about it a little bit there, but investing in yourself, right? So that could be having a coach. It could be um, studying formally. It could be learning informally through, you know, an array of, of uh, resources available online. So um, that enablement and development is very important for me and, and my team at the moment. Uh, we're always looking for, you know, areas to improve on or gaps to fill. Um, so that's the yeah, that's sort of the bigger areas, John Joe, that I'm really focused on. I mean, deeper to that, there's definitely a set of values and attributes that I that I personally believe in, but that I look for in individuals. And I never want to really force values or attributes upon people. Mm. But I often try to sort of guide them on on you know attributes that I believe can help them do well and be successful. And for me, you know, they're things like um, they're things like, you know, these are slack values too, right? Having craftsmanship, like really taking pride in the work you're doing and making it really top notch. Um, having that solidarity because it is a team selling exercise. So knowing what people around you, um, need to achieve and helping them along the way. It's not just all about you and let's say your quota. It's about people around you needing to hit certain criteria. I'm having empathy, right? Understanding both your internal stakeholders and your external stakeholders. They got a lot of stuff going on that you'll probably never appreciate, right? Or even understand. So just having that, that grounding and that empathy to understand that, um, you know, what you might be trying to achieve in any given day or sell is not going to be the most important thing to most people around you. Um, and then as I said, you know, resilience is a big key thing and an important thing that I'd be coaching towards and, and looking for in people. Yeah, fantastic. And <clears throat> certainly um those values you've espoused yourself, so it'd be, I'm sure, easy for the team to um see them firsthand and it happened through osmosis, which is really important, isn't it? Um how do you define success right now? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Look obviously success is different for everyone. Um but for me it is about that that continued personal growth. Um, and that growth, uh, as I said 
for me, it's personal, but it's also at a team level, especially now being being a new leader. And it's obviously not just about me anymore. It's about the team. So making sure that, you know, we're improving in skill set, we're improving in the metrics, uh, we're improving in terms of individuals achieving their goals because a big part of my role, I believe, is to make sure that the individuals are achieving their individual goals. Um, for me, success is also about um, both success personally and professionally, right? So again, it's not just one thing for me being successful in my job. It's about am I being successful in, you know, in being a better dad, in being a better husband, um, in being able to enjoy the things that I enjoy outside of work. Um, but I, I don't shy away that, you know, sales is a competitive field. And I, I do absolutely believe that success in sales does mean things like achieving or exceeding your quotas. It does mean things like being financially rewarded and being recognized for being a, a top uh, performer or an achiever. Um, but yeah, it's not just all about those numbers. It's, it's certainly about, um, you know, what's important to you as an individual. And that's obviously different for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and finally, James, this is um, something that I'm quite interested in. I was looking for tweaks on a day today. Interested to um, hear what your typical day looks like how do you structure it if you could walk us through um yeah typical day for you yeah absolutely well um i get up quite early these days so i I usually like to start the day just really catching up on 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 news for 20 or 30 minutes and and news for me is both you know news in general but also work updates um you know it's a very global business these days so um normally in the morning i'm catching up on things that have happened overnight in other geos um so no surprise, slacking, uh, sorry, checking Slack yeah. is, uh, is one of the first things I do um, in the morning. I like to go to Twitter and LinkedIn for my news, but um, then I like to kick off the day with some exercise. That can really be a mix of walking, going to the gym, and I, I'll often use this time to listen to a podcast or music. That really just sort of gets my mind flowing and thinking about ideas and tasks that I want to accomplish that day. Mm-hmm. Um these days we're really starting to get back to the office a lot more regularly so um you know it's for me uh a commute and and often a detour to to drop my daughter at school which is always fun we have some fun conversations uh she's quite a little tech head herself so i love you know answering questions and telling her about what i'm doing in my day um you know we're doing a lot of one-to-ones either with people in my team or catching up with uh, other stakeholders in the business we're having a lot more customer events now that the world's well and truly open again. Um, but if I speak a bit more broadly about routine, um, I've always been pretty disciplined in identifying, you know, key and core components of my role. And that's both as a seller or, or today as a sales leader. So I've always sort of built a weekly schedule where I block out time for dedicated tasks. Um, and as an example, I would say Monday is my time to connect with the team both as a team and then to start to kick off my one-to-ones. For me, Tuesday is really about um, getting deep into the data, so understanding what opportunities we have in play, working on our forecasts, um, and getting into, the, the I guess, the, the nuts and bolts and mechanics of the business so that I can report on those to my leadership. And then I try and keep sort of Wednesday and Thursday as really heavy sort of customer days. So... Um, using them with my team to support prospecting, to support them in meetings and progression and spending more time with customers. As I mentioned to you earlier at the beginning of the call, Friday for me is really like a, uh, 
let's call it a back off the stay live. I really want to get my hygiene in, in our CRM system clean and up to date. I want to get my admin ticked away. I want to reflect on the week and, and plan for the week ahead. So, um, an important bit that I'll finish off with is the importance. And I try and do this now is to block out time each day where I can turn notifications off and I can have some creative time because, uh, there's just so many distractions out there and I know how easy it is to basically from the moment you rise to, to the moment you call it a day, almost achieve nothing just by responding to notifications. So for me, yeah, having time where I block, block out an hour, turn the notifications off and do some um, meaningful work where I'm not distracted. That's, that's super important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Fantastic. James, um, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I wanted to do this for um, a long time. You're a great example of um, somebody who's reached the heights, um, but is pushing to, you know, continue that development and, um, you know, those values you're espousing just around being humble and hardworking. Um, I think it's been a really good blueprint for somebody who's looking to level up their sales or technology sales career to, you know, realize it's not yeah, as it's not it's not complicated, but there are there are certain things if you do them well and you really focus on your values and being um authentic, um, you can you can get to as high as you you'd like. So um yeah, really appreciate you for really digging in and um giving us plenty of examples as how to do that. Yeah, thanks, John Jay. Thanks for inviting me on and I've enjoyed uh chatting with you. Nice one. Thanks again, James. Cheers, John Jay. Bye.